Operator Syndrome, episode 37. Um, last time we did a listener Q&A, I think we're going back to, and as, as we'll do a better job of plugging it, you've got other questions, comments, gripes, concerns, Operator Syndrome, podcast at gmail.com. Today, we're going to, um, we're jumping back into Steve's timeline, um, generally, not exactly. So the last episode on, on you, we were talking about your third deployment to the Philippines, but this seemed like a good time to jump into um, your sniper training, which is something people are always interested in knowing, just snipers in general. There's a lot of uh, prestige and lore around snipers. So um, we'll dedicate this, this episode here talking about your experience as a sniper. So maybe the best place to start is um, how, do, how does one get selected or identified to fill that duty within a platoon? Um, maybe how about do new guys get to be snipers or do you got to have a little salt on you first? Well, Sometimes it works both ways. Um, a lot of times in my first platoon, which was Charlie platoon, uh, that was the one we, w- we went to the Philippines for the first time, uh, the coup d'etat, all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. They had a primary sniper and, and usually each, each platoon has what you call a primary sniper and a secondary sniper. Um, the secondary sniper usually serves as what's called a spotter. Um, for the primary sniper and that's an important role on a sniper op it's usually a two-man operation sometimes not sometimes more it there's a little variance but a traditional sniper operation is two man a a sniper your main shooter and a a spotter and a spotter is somebody who just looks through what's called a spotting telescope and can kind of see the broader picture and see okay you've got a vehicle approaching your target you've got watch out for this over here and so they can kind of walk the sniper into whatever's going on downrange so i was um yeah in my first platoon and we had mike one of one of the mics we had like four mics in that same platoon but this one particular mike mike bay um took me under his wing kind of we all we kind of hit it off uh, i was a new guy so there's always a little bit of prickliness with the the salty guys but um he he really liked me i liked him and he was a phenomenal shot he was also his hobby was he was he was a full-blown gunsmith he worked with a guy named armin swenson and could build a custom 45 i mean he was really knowledgeable about weapons and 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 a phenomenal shot and so we we it was it's, it's funny how things happen sometimes just so unsystematically in my platoon I turned out to be a decent shot. Like I, I was, Mike and I were the two top shots in the platoon. And we saw this because we were always on the range comparing and, and seeing who could shoot what and with long guns and with pistols and with submachine guns and stuff like that. So one day uh, <clears throat> there was this over on the main Navy base across called 32nd street in uh, San Diego which is, oh, it's just a big, that's the fleet. You know, we're over on the Amphib base in Coronado and they had this fleet marksmanship week where it was just a big shooting match, right? And um, it wasn't that prestigious, but it's a hoo Like, so the ships would send like many times their security guys, their shore patrol dudes would show up. 
Um, and it was, it was a contest. So Mike was looking for somebody to go with him. Cause they were like two man teams from different commands. He goes, Hey, you want to go to the fifth fleet, the whatever fleet shooting thing it was. I, I can't, mm-hmm. it was, I was like, yeah, I'll go. And it was just a hoo I, I don't even know. It might've been on a Saturday or something. It was like, yeah, he goes, hi, hey, we'll just grab a, grab a 45 and let's go. And we had some tricked out 45s. Nowadays they're all tricked out anymore, but back then, um, military issue 45s were pieces of crap. You could, they wouldn't shoot good. They wouldn't, they're not, they weren't reliable, all this. So we grabbed some, some decent pistols and it was a pistol competition. There were no long guns or shotguns and, uh, headed over there and, um, Oh, there was one other guy. No, it was a three-man team. That's right. Bill Schmeck was with us. He, yeah, he was. He worked in the armory. Um, so we were all SEALs. I wasn't fully qualified yet. I didn't have my Trident yet, but I was working on it. Um, and uh, we went over and we just <laughs> we beat everybody. We, we took first place. And, um, and it, there was even some griping among <laughs> some of the sailors. They're like, they shouldn't let SEALs compete in this and we're like well why not it's a navy event i mean any command is welcome to send anybody and uh, so that was funny but i i had a really good day of shooting some days you're just really on and other days you're pretty on and i mean i was i i remember schmeck and bay came over and they looked at my target and it was like we were shooting i think it was 25 yards at um a standard kind of target it wasn't that nothing tricky and i had i had my we, I think we shot three rounds each and my first and second round were like, it was just like one ragged hole right in the X. I mean, it was just like shredded. I mean, it, it you know, the guns were really dialed in and then, and I, I kind of felt sorry for some of the Navy guys because I was looking at some of what they were using or military issue stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, well, that is- com- competition can do that to you too. Like you can just get in the zone. Yeah. Right. And you can get out of the zone. Sometimes the pressure gets to you and you shake more than if you're just out with your buddies, you know, having a beer, not too many beers, hopefully on a shooting range, but you know, anyway, so yeah. So, so they were like, that's, that's damn good shooting Watkins. And uh, so I remember on the ride back, um, Mike said, we need a secondary sniper and we'll put you through our in-house sniper course. If you'd be interested, we'll, we'll put it, it had to go through our platoon commander but I think Mike's recommendation carried a lot of weight. And so really it was just, it was kind of informal. And the, I think it was one of our platoon musters, the platoon commander, Steve Simmons just said, Hey, uh, Watkins is interested in being our secondary sniper. Is there anybody else who wants to, wants to compete for that position? And what he meant was if anybody else wanted to, because, you know, I was new, I didn't have any salt yet first platoon, um, what they would have sent us to the shooting range with uh, probably bolt actions and um, shot at maybe 600 yard targets to see who in the most accurate person would get it. It was just that simple really back then the way we did it. So nobody else I, I think wanted to, I was already pretty, I mean, I had won some shooting competitions. We'd been to some schools like civilian shooting schools, mid South Institute of self-defense shooting um, one of those cool guys schools and i i beat everybody in the platoon that was with an mp5 on a timed course and everything else so i think there was like i don't i don't know if they just didn't want to bother with the competition or they didn't really want to be a sniper because it's a lot of work i mean it's it's yeah as patrick said it's kind of cool you know oh, a sniper there's this kind of mystique about the deadly snipers and um and there's just some truth to that but it's also 
hard work, especially the, the really the, the schools you go through to become a sniper. So that's how it happened. They just said, so you, it's okay, you got it. So you, uh, so you showed a predisposition to that, to those skills. And then the platoon recognized that. And Hey, if you know, if you're in the platoon, you're like, I guy can shoot. All right. Yeah. We'd like someone who can shoot to be yeah. a sniper. That could be advantageous. Go ahead and let him do it. So you right. mentioned the uh, in-house sniper course. Was this, was this platoon team specific? Was it a West Coast, were there West Coast, East Coast versions? What did that look like? Okay. This is way back in the dark ages. Back, yep. was, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now they have a, I went to it. It's at Crane, Indiana at a joint base there. Um, a full blown seal sniper course. It's okay. just come light years, but no, back then, um, the, I, the, the, there were two snipers in training department. I mean, fully qualified. I think one of them had been to Sodic, um, but they were, uh, they were legit. And, um, they put us through an in-house. I think there were four of us in the training group. I was from Charlie and I think I can't remember the other platoons, but there were some newer guys and maybe a little bit older guys, there were four of us going through an in-house sniper course. So they did it all um, as to the best of their ability. Now it was nothing like Sodic, which is kind of where I'm going. Um, but I, I did get qualified at least on the platoon level to be, and I was going to serve as the spotter for Mike, but I could mm -hmm. also shoot. I knew, I knew how to do this mechanics of being a sniper, adjust for windage and elevation and um, become proficient with the platforms we had. And even then we were starting to get into the 50 caliber but for SEALs as a whole, we, we had what we called uh, medium, medium range sniper rifles, which were 308s, um, Winchester uh, bolt action 308s. Um, what is it? Model 700, I think. I think it is. Yeah. So Remington, what? Remington 700. Remington 700. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Which the Winchester's Model 70. So anyway, I, thought, I, I prefer Winchester's, but we had the military had a contract with Remington. Um, that's right. And then our, our medium range sniper rifle was a 300 Winchester Magnum. I think on the same platform, it was a, a Remington 700. And then we had the first, uh, we had, um, I think it was called the Haskins 50 caliber. Now, since then, things have gone another direction. No, no, it was a McMillan. That's That's right the Macmillan bolt action 50 caliber. And we hadn't had a lot of applications for those yet. They used them. I heard that the seals used them in Beirut in 1980 when the Marine barracks was bombed. Um, they had, uh, I don't know how much of this is lore. I, I do know it. It was legit. I mean, they, they killed, they killed some um, Palestinian terrorists who were, uh, taking pot shots at our Marines over this brick wall thing, like a, a wall, a little a fortress, kind of a barrier wall. And they were just popping up and spraying, you know, spraying and praying with AKs. And I think maybe one or two Marines got hurt. Now the bombing, and that's a whole different thing, but mm -hmm. can't remember. This, I think this was, this was before the bombing. Cause after that we pulled out and there was a Marine amphibious ready group. So there's always what's called a Marg platoon, a SEAL platoon that's on a Marg that's on a, a ship out, with another group of amphibious carriers, mostly Marine landing forces to support that. If it, and there, there's a ARG, an amphibious ready group in the Pacific and a MARG in the Mediterranean. So we always have those out there ready to land and get, if something gets serious, they sent some seals in and um, they decided that the, that the snipers could probably take care of these guys 
doing this pot shotting stuff. So they used 50s. They used the Macmillan 50 with what's called a Mark 211 Rafa's round. Big old, well, 50 counts rounds are all always big, but this is a French made round that had in the, in the tip of the bullet, there was a shape charge with a tungsten steel penetrator inside. Um, and a tungsten steel is like about as hard as anything other than depleted uranium. And it, it can penetrate a lot. I mean, mostly it's for light armor and stuff like that. And they just set up and they set up on this area where they were having trouble, where these guys are taking pot shots. And, um, sure enough, they, 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 they did it. They shot over the wall and then they shot right through the wall, like, and got them like through the brick, <laughs> like kind of in the movies kind of thing. I was, I was just about to say, <laughs> I am 99% yeah. sure the movie Navy SEALs has that the, the, the optic game is goofy, but yeah, uh, I think I feel like I, I saw a similar thing there, perhaps inspiration for. I, yeah, I think that's right. The guy I met him he, who produced that movie was a dev group operator. And for all I know, he might have been on the team that, that did that. I, I don't know. But yeah, it's that it was pretty cool. It wasn't near as Hollywood. It's just, oh, got nothing on Starlight switching to thermal. <laughs> you know, all that goofiness that that movie was uh, that movie yeah. really makes me sad <laughs> but but anyway it inspired a lot we can't take too much away from it That's so right. so you're you're in your in the in-house the the team it sounds like the team sort of centric in-house school mm -hmm. you went to course you went to you worked through the inventory of what you had available to you was it primarily focused on just the marksmanship aspect or did you get into the 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 things everyone knows right the stocks yeah, and stock. the observation was it that as well yeah we did it we did both okay not as extensive neither as extensively as as sodic but sodic and that's kind of where we're going um that is the top that is the category one they called it at that time sniper course in the army i mean so if, if you graduated you were not only a category one sniper you were you, you could teach at, at, at army sniper courses. It was the credential to be an, a sniper instructor. So they told us all when we graduated and not everybody made it. They were like, you always have an invitation back here. Even you Navy SEALs, you goof, goofballs. And so we were like, Hey, that felt pretty good. I mean, we never, I never knew of anybody going back there, but uh, yeah. So we had, that was the highest level. So everything is like kind of intensified when you go to that school. Is that, um, had you gone to, um, and I've heard of SEALs going to the Army Sniper School or the Marine Corps Sniper School. Mm -hmm. right. Were any of those opportunities uh, available to you all back then? Or, or yeah. 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 Several snipers I knew, I kind of got lucky to go to SODIC. There were other sniper schools, not to take anything away from the other sniper schools. Mm -hmm. There were, guys went to the Marine Force Recon Sniper School. I believe, believe it was Force Recon Run. Um, but it was the Marine sniper course, which is, is prestigious. It is. Right. Um, it's, I mean, their legend is Gunny Hathcock in Vietnam who gets some incredible, like hundred and some confirmed kills or whatever mm -hmm. you go there these days. Um, and, and then the, the army did have another one step down from Sodic sniper course. I think they had a couple of them across the country. Uh, so, um, yeah, so some seals went to those too. I just got lucky. We were, I was in Foxtrot platoon. It was around, it was in 1990, spring of 1990. You know, the Gulf War is going to kick off in August of 90. Mm -hmm. And um, Tom Dietz, Lieutenant Tom Dietz, uh, 
called me in and um at that point we so this is a new platoon different from charlie when i when i first got my basic kind of creds as a sniper um and i needed we were i was working on needing a, a spotter slash secondary sniper because i had by default i was the only one qualified so i became the primary sniper in the second that platoon and um my friend bruce who i've talked about before uh was a really good shot and um and he thought it was cool and all that. And so I kind of did what Mike Bay did. Although Bruce was my same level and rank, I they always listen to the primary sniper as far as who do you think has the aptitude and do you want to nail it? You, do you want to wind, you know, kind of limit it down to two or three guys or do you want to just hand select one? And I kind of hand selected Bruce. I think this is the way it went. And I said, yeah, I think we'd be good together, get along. We and and um, but we would we would like to go to a more formal school. And so Tom, we all call him Tommy. Tommy just said, all right, well, I'm going to look around and I'll go to training and see if we can get orders. And sure enough, he comes back and goes, Hey, you guys got lucky. You're going to Sodic at, at Fort Bragg. And we were like, damn, I mean, we would have gone anywhere and been happy, but we were like, shoo. And so then the platoon was getting ready to do mountain warfare out in Helena, Montana and they bruce and i had to get ready because this was no joke i mean in, in, none of the sniper schools are a joke in that sense but we had to really really work and we we spent a lot of time shooting and we spent a lot of time talking after hours at my apartment or his apartment and because i was a rigger and i could sew one of the things we had to do is build a ghillie suit back in those days you had to make your own really and now you can buy them online and stuff but we we took we we really took pride in making those things great, putting reinforced pads in the where you can crawl and and um, just re outfitting them to to be really uh, good. And we had two really good ghillie suits. I I think I sold my ghillie suits for like five or six hundred dollars when I got out of the military because nice. it it was not it was decent. I mean, there were lots of hours in that thing. So that was it. We packed up and headed out to Fort Bragg with orders. SODIC is, is an acronym for Special Operations Target Interdiction Course. So if you leave it to the military to obfuscate the obvious. It's a sniper course, right? That's all, that's all it is, but you got to say it fancy or something. There is a, uh, and I don't know, I'm, I'm just looking at the time. This may turn into two episodes. There's a lot to say about the school itself that was really crazy, but there's always this dark side about snipers in military philosophy, they don't back then they didn't even send officers to sniper school and traditionally officers do not serve as snipers part of that is well it's it's this idea of the officer and a gentleman like right. a sniper is kind of a dirty kind of a dark sinister you're going to shoot a guy in the head he doesn't poor guy doesn't even have a chance or or whatever that could get me off on tangents it's like well i always say if if I have to be shot and know I'm going to be shot on the battlefield, I would rather have a snipe, sniper shoot me than anybody because it's going to be over quick. Because you're probably just I'm not going to bleed out and have a second chest room for hours on end. Yeah. I, I want it to be over, right? So to me, it's more humane to have accurate marksmanship rather than you know you get into all these weird ethical debates, right? But anyhow, so they didn't send officers. And now I've heard, I talked to somebody and they said, well, sometimes they'll send an officer, but it's just for the knowledge of how to apply a sniper. It's not because sure. they're not going to deploy an officer as a sniper. 
So, um, yeah, so we headed out to Sodic and, um, my first time to Fort Bragg and, um, it's, it was part of the John F. Kennedy special warfare center. Uh, they ran this school and Safartech. they were both under the same kind of orb. They had two Mm -hmm. different cadres, but they were a part of the same place. Was this before, or cause you would, you would go on to, or you did Sephardic. Did you do Sephardic before or after Sodic? After Sodic. Okay, interesting. Yeah, All right. After Sodic, yeah. So we arrived and kind of a similar story about the clash between the Navy and the Army. Um, you know, here we are, Bruce and I, suntanned, and and they're they're looking at us like, where did these jokers come from? And um, man, it, Bruce was a little more sassy than I was. I just want to lay low. I, I was always kind of my philosophy is like, man, these guys are here to teach us something. I don't want to make any enemies if I don't need to. And to be honest, we made a lot of friends with with a lot of these Green Berets. We they just were a fun group of guys. It's funny we had Rangers there. We had I think four at least Rangers at Sodic, and. They were, for whatever reason, I, li- I remember this one This one guy, I don't, I don't remember his name, but I really liked him, and I talked to him a lot, but the Rangers were kind of more standoffish a little bit, not in a snobby way, but in a, we, we know our lines, and we don't want to meddle outside our boxes, and they were, they were always together, and they were always like super squared away, they're, they're rucksacks, that's where I was like, the first time I was like, now that is a good looking rucksack, <laughs> they had them all dressed out. And they, if I take one thing away from Sodic, the <sighs> Rangers know how to pack a ruck. Oh, and they were great. They were hard chargers and everything. I mean, great shots, the whole nine yards. But I guess the first big trauma when after we got there is they like there was we did a PT test, of course. Mm-hmm. All cool. right, so that was really non-eventful. It just run bishops, pull-ups, all that. And um, but the thing that was really stressful is they took us on a deuce and a half over to a range and we didn't know where we were going it was kind of i think the instructors wanted to make it kind of mysterious kind of keep you on your edge a little bit and um, we had heard that we were going to have to have a pretty rigorous first pass pass or fail test to continue on with rifles and we we knew we were going to be shooting bolt actions and we knew it was going to be iron sights no scopes so we had prepared for that yeah bruce and i went out we got some bolt actions, took scopes off, put iron sights on, went to the range and did a lot of really as tedious shooting as we could have to get real comfortable. And thankfully, we had a, set, a Remington 700 system we were shooting and that's what the army was using as well. So that's helpful. It's it's not always a good thing to go from one system to another for trigger pull issues and the way they feel everything. Because every little thing, I mean, we're talking about shooting so accurately that any little thing can throw you off. So they took us out there and they said, all right, if you pass this one, well, welcome to Sodic. I'm like, wow, we're not even in the school yet, technically. And they put us on a range. It was, now this is what's, it's going to sound weird. It was 25 yards. So that's Mm -hmm. not very far. Right. And you're shooting prone from a prone position, laying down. But here's where it gets interesting. They put, there, it was a man-sized silhouette, just a green silhouette target. And they put six, you know, those one inch by one inch black posts. They're they're like they're they're adhesive and they cover up bullet holes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. They put 
you you cover up like the center of a black target so you can use it longer. Mm-hmm. That's why they have these. They're they're one by one and they're they're like post-it notes. You peel them off and just stick them on. On each target, they they stuck six of these. One, two, three, four, five, six. So top shoulders, mid torso, and then lower torso. Didn't have anything to do with the torso target. It just had to do with these six little paste post-it things look whatever whatever they're called yeah, they're like they're like stickers stickers yeah yeah and they're small and so from 20 yeah from 25 yards that's not very far but when you're looking at that little thing i mean from even from 25 yards with a rifle it is it, it's you can barely see it and the silhouettes are um if they're the same thing i'm imagining they're like od right they're green all, yeah all so they're green. od green a black yeah. dot six black, black dots on an od green background yeah. an od green background no, no optics, just iron sights. And so, I mean, it, I remembered we, we discussed this, Bruce and I did before we got there with an iron sight, the iron sight, when you, you always want to focus on your front sight, not your rear. Um, you want your front sight to be clear, crystal clear focus and your rear sight to be blurry and the target to be a little blurry. Well, in this case, the target was so small, our front sight would, you couldn't even see the, the black post-it or the black patch that we're shooting at it, the front sight covered it up because it was so much closer to our eye. I'm like, and, and they said, we're going to get, let you dry fire these things and sight them in however you want. And we're going to give you three rounds to sight it in. And they were pretty already sighted in. They weren't trying to screw with us, but it's like, mm, man, depending on how you hold, it's just real tedious. So Bruce and I decided we took one look at this. We're like, okay, Let's go with a what's called a popsicle hold, which is where the sight is here and the target is here. So you sight it into where your bullet's going to be hitting right at the center. Because we couldn't see if we did if we did a straight on shot, we couldn't see the post it. Mm-hmm. We, we would lose left, right, up, down. We couldn't really see it. So we we decided to sight them in where the the top sight was right below it. And so if if, if we sighted them in properly, we'd be punching them right through but see how little room for error there is right if one bullet goes outside of that you're going home and you got to shoot six groups of three rounds in each one and if you throw one see you later pack your bags wild now that and we were pretty good shots we were pretty good shots and we were (laughs) oh and oh man this would be really easy just if if you were just off one little gnat's ass on pulling just perfectly so i don't know how we did it we we shot we got it and and uh but there were about if i can remember correctly and man oh well you could never hold me to this anyway because it probably don't even have records of our school back then <laughs> there, i think there was about eight guys who who went home man they packed their bags i can't remember who they were and I do think we had about three or four Marines there. I guess they were recon guys or force recon guys. And then I say the four, at least four Rangers. And then the rest were special forces, U.S. Army special forces, and then and then two SEALs. So I can't remember who went home. I know most, if not all, the Rangers stayed. Bruce and I stayed. Uh, at least a few Marines stayed. And a lot of special forces guys stayed. And I think we had a class of about 25 or 30 total. So, um, man, that was a relief to get that one over with because it was just, can you imagine? That was just really ridiculously hard. Do you feel like um, 
do you feel like you were at a disadvantage at all? It sounded like you, you had a vague idea of what was coming up. And I'm wondering because there are a lot of things in the military school wise where it's, um, you get the benefit of institutional knowledge. Yeah. You know, like folks yeah. you talk to, like if you're going to, so I got to imagine you and Bruce went up to the last guy to come back from Sodic and was, yeah. and were like, Hey, what should we be doing? How yeah. should we be prepping? What are, What is this going to look like? And, and they're going to mm-hmm. give you as much as possible. Did you, did you feel like the army guys had any, I mean, you two stayed and uh, you know, if you look at the distribution of the class, yeah, I mean uh, more, it sounds like perhaps maybe more green berets went, but statistically they were a bigger group anyways. Right. right. So, right. so, but did you feel like there was any sort of advantage on the army side or do you feel like everyone was probably working off the same amount of uh, 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 knowledge passed, passed down and through? Yeah. I'm not hundred percent sure. I really feel like we probably all had about the same amount of knowledge. I think the only difference I would say where I felt any, a little bit more at a disadvantage was with respect to pressure because we're two seals that everybody's looking at. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, it's kind of not a big sensation when an army guy goes home. Right. But with us, it was like a big deal if, oh, the two holier-than-thou seals go home. Wow. You know, sure. makes, makes headlines, right? Sure. So there was that pressure that was just internal in addition to the pressure of not wanting to to go back to a SEAL team and say, I didn't make it. Yeah. is really hard, man. And so that sometimes the mental pressure is way worse than any even the knowledge. And then I also felt like, and I know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know this to be true, but I really think the instructors were a little harder on us in some ways. I don't think they were unfair, but I mm-hmm. think they looked at every nook and cranny of what we were doing to say, if we're, if these guys are jacked up in any way, we're going to fi- find out. And there, there was, so I felt like we had a little more pressure in that way, but as far as the knowledge goes, yeah, I picked the brains of all the soda guys and they told me pretty much what to expect. Mm-hmm. The, the the unknowns were that, yeah, they had done it three years ago and they might've changed things here and right. there. The test they remember, which was, it turned out to be the same test. That's why we were practicing with bolt actions already with iron sights, mm-hmm. but, but we didn't know what kind of, and you know how it is. The guys are like, can't remember if they let us shoot a group first or they just, yeah, we're like, oh boy. And you didn't, they didn't let you, you only got to dry fire, correct? No, they let us shoot three rounds of society. Okay. Right. Yeah. And that's right. where we did that lollipop hold. Where yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Because we, it would not be fair to just give you a weapon that's sighted in by somebody else and go, oh, good luck, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, but but you only got to shoot one one three round group before you. I can't remember if it's one or two three round groups. Let's make this a let's make this a tall tale. You got one shot. You got one cold bore shot. Yeah, to, to that I think that'll work out well for the store. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, so so that you that that gets you in that, that gets, gets you us in. in and what's the syllabus look like yeah so the syllabus the first part of the course was half the day i believe most of the time in the mornings it was classroom work like a lot of knowledge and i uh, man i learned i mean everything from um how a scope system works um minutes of relief elevation uh, how to adjust 
how to adjust this way, that way for wind, for, for barometric pressure, for like, we're talking really tedious time of shooting. And then, and then also things like ballistic curves, trajectories of how bullets fly. Um, a lot of ballistics, a lot of, um, uh, ballistic coefficients. What are those? And how, how do you get maximum this, that, like if you're going to shoot somebody through a glass, like let's say, your target is behind a glass windshield. Um, you're probably going to need to use something like a bronze round that that has minimal deflection, uh, not a typical ball round because a bronze round has higher density, but it yet it's not hard enough to where it'll rip the lands and grooves out of the barrel, like like tungsten steel and uh, depleted uranium would. Um, of course, you if you shoot those, you shoot them with something called a slap or a bow launched armor piercing. So they have something else wrapped around them that throws them through the rifle barrel and puts the spin on them because, um, because they're too hard. They're harder than the grooves of the barrel and they will rip them out. They won't even spin. Mm -hmm. So there's all these really tedious kinds of things. They were teaching us distances and, and then the, the afternoon it was range time. And that was, they were just, they were smoking us good uh, with lots of tedious kind of shooting. The traditional um, offhand, kneeling and prone shooting, and a lot of prone shooting. Most of the time, a sniper is going to most always try for a prone position because it's the most stable. Prone is when you're laying down and you have lots of points of contact and a lot of control. When you're standing shooting offhand, that's the least stable and then kneeling is a little better than standing. But uh, anyway, putting us through all of that on the range, we were shooting 200, 600, and 1,000 yards um, with 308s. <laughs> so it gets interesting trying to hit a 1,000-yard target with a 308, but you can do it. Um, you don't have a whole lot of – I mean, the bullet is it's not going to be your best performer at that distance. You're going to go to a heavier – caliber or a, a, a more powerful round if you're going to do that but we did it at sniper school including shooting iron sights at silhouettes at a thousand yards so now there you go <laughs> that's that was as hard as shooting those post-its I and mean, that's why they're they're doing it they're just driving into you muscle memory of sound marksmanship that's really what it was now the the most challenging thing we did were called snaps and movers um they had her on, on a range you you had to shoot and this was still on the range this is not in the field i think the second the last month of of the course and i can't remember how exactly long it was, it was at least two months i think longer a little bit the last month was um in the field doing stalks and doing your final training or your field training exercises to uh see if you pass fail but snaps and movers were two different types of applications uh, about targets that were either briefly presenting themselves or moving moving targets and so in in movers for example you would have targets and at different ranges you had different speeds so at the closest range you had you had what what were called runners so it's it's literally a guy behind under under the berm behind the target with a with a stick and and a, and a silhouette and he's like almost jogging jogging like this and you've got to hit it you've got a range you start here and you end here and you've got to hit it as it's moving and and hit it in a solid like torso kill we call it kill hit 
So at the closest range, I think 200, they were, they were fast movers. And then at 400, they were what we were called slow movers. They were still moving, but not as fast as the, the closest range. And at the farthest range at 600, they were called walkers. And they were just literally walking. So it wasn't going real fast. Um, but you, you, it was just as hard, I think, at each range because the speeds were different. So you're having to hit these things. And I don't remember how many you had to hit and how many was a pass fail, but it was all pass fail at that, at that school. You could, you could be given your walking papers back to your command at any time if you really blew it. And they would probably retest. I, I don't remember retesting, but perhaps I did. I, I don't know. I can't remember. And then snaps are a similar thing. Um, it, it's, it was about uh, fast acquisition. And so you'd have here's be the berm and a, a silhouette of a shoulder and a head and like top torso, like the target would be from here, shoulders and a head. And you either had to hit like right center mass or in a headshot and you could choose whatever you wanted to do. Um, and so you'd be sitting there and you knew, you knew your area and it would all of a sudden snap up and you had like so many seconds to acquire it fire and kill before it snapped back down and it was like like i say the same thing 200 400 and 600 you had they stayed less time at 200 a little longer at 300 or uh, 400 and then a, a little bit longer at 600 but man that made me sweat some bullets right there because it, it was not easy to hit them and you had to hit like i say i don't know how many out of how many but that's kind of hard <laughs> it's kind of hard to do yeah, I mean, it sounds incredible. I, I have a million, I have a million questions. We may need to revisit. We may yeah. need to revisit because yeah, yeah. we haven't even talked about stocks or anything Stock, else. That's the best. Uh, so uh, we'll have to close this one out, um, but we'll put a pin in it. And uh, yeah, one of the things I'm thinking immediately is um, is uh, one of the questions I have is how it might differ from you know your conventional you know, why does this school even exist? Right. So maybe that's where we open it up next time. Like what yeah. is it they're looking to teach you that, that tradi the traditional Marine Corps or army sniper schools don't teach and yeah. then a million other things. So, okay. Uh, thanks for that. Um, thanks for listening and we'll catch you all in the next one.